Welcome to the HCI Family of Podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Welcome to the podcast. In this podcast episode, I talk with Richard Newman about the science of storytelling. Richard Newman, welcome to the conversation today. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from outside of London in the UK. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about the science of storytelling. I love this topic. I think it's so important in leadership that we tell compelling stories, uh, not just to garner support and utilize our influence uh, in the organization, but in supporting our teams. And just, I think everything that we do requires good storytelling. As we get started, I wanted to share Richard Byer with everybody. Richard Newman is the founder of Body Talk. Over the past 22 years, his team has trained over 120,000 business leaders around the world to improve their communication and impact, including one client who gained over $1 billion in new business in just one year using the strategies that he teaches. Now, Richard, anything you would like to highlight by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? Sure. So, I mean, I teach communication. That's the main thing that I do. And, uh, you know, often people are amazed to find out that I'm not a sort of uh, a natural communicator. I had to learn all this stuff from the ground up. So when I was younger, I was shy. Uh, I'm very much an introvert. I'm also, I've been diagnosed as being autistic. And so I've had various barriers to overcome to figure out how to communicate well. And, uh, you know, all of this sort of started from about the age of four or five years old when I, I realized I was a step behind in communication. I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. And uh, in my late teenage years, I read hundreds of books on mm. the subject of communication just to try and overcome those challenges. And I ended up uh, living in a Tibetan monastery in the foothills mm. of the Himalayas where I was teaching English to the monks. And I was doing this because I wanted to give back to the world. I wanted to help people, but also because of my fascination with uh, communication where I, I was living with people where I had to use body language to communicate with them non-verbally because they didn't speak any English. And so I was fascinated by this experience, came back to the UK. I then uh, studied at a London acting school to learn more about how to stand and move and breathe in the way that you tell a story and impact an audience. And then uh, from there, I then started to build up my communication training company. It's all come from this passion to help people really find their voice, stand out, be heard, and in their own way, tilt the world in a more positive direction. So it's been quite a journey for me, and I'm really uh, pleased these days to be able to help other people with their communication skills too. Well, I love that. Thank you so much for that background. And I, I love how it's, you know, from your experience, you've demonstrated how this is something that can be learned, it can be developed, we can hone our skills. There are natural just 
excellent communicators uh, who just seem to just have that knack. You know, they show up into a room and they just kind of suck in the the uh, attention of everyone around them, and they just tell amazing stories and they capture the attention of of everyone. Um, but most of us have to work at it. Most of us have to hone the skills, develop the skills, and they can be learned. And so I appreciate that about your background and experience. Now, as we dive on in, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your approach towards, you know, what we're framing up as the science of storytelling? Obviously, you've trained mm-hmm. uh, in in this area in a variety of capacities. Um, why is that understanding that science of storytelling important? And then maybe break it down for us a little bit. Like, what are those components? Sure. So storytelling has been talked about a lot in business over the, at least the last 10 years. It's been this buzzword, yeah. people saying, great, we've got to have storytelling in our business. But I think it's um, so, an area that people are really confused by. So if you ask people in different corporations, what does storytelling mean here? In different places, some managers might say to you, ah, oh, it means when I want to explain a point, I need to find a historical reference and tell the story and therefore it becomes more meaningful. And other people will say, oh, I've been told to be better at storytelling so I tell people about anecdotes from my weekend. And that's not actually what storytelling is really about in business. Uh, this is a way of being able to take a spreadsheet or you know the KPIs for the last quarter mm-hmm. and turn them into a meaningful story such that people listen, they care about what you've said, and they take action on it and they remember your information as well. And if you understand the science behind it, then you can understand how the brain wants to engage in information and you can structure what you say in that order such that you light up the right areas of the brain at the right moment so that people are thoroughly compelled by what you have to say from start to finish. And so I love sharing this with people because some people have really complex information they need to share. They might mm-hmm. have difficult strategies they've got to put across or sometimes just quite dull information where they've been told, okay, come and share your statistics with us. And please don't use the same bullet points, you know, use storytelling, and they're not sure how to do that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I like to say to them is, you know, let's break this down into ways that you can make it meaningful. So to give people the basic premise behind this, if you think about uh, the way that the brain engages with information, we can see this looking back through storytelling told over thousands of years. So, you know, the earliest version of a story we have on record is the clay tablets of the Epic of Gilgamesh. And there you have this framework for a story that you can see mimicked over a thousand years later by the ancient Greeks and over another thousand years later by Shakespeare. And yet these civilizations never, uh, never connected with each other. They didn't share their wisdom with each other. They're in different parts of the world with no contact with each other, using the same framework for storytelling. And if you know what that is, then you can get anyone to listen. But importantly, what it shows, if you take a look at what happens in those stories, is that there's certain areas of the brain being lit up. So first of all, you've got the survival part of the mind. Then you've got the emotional part of the mind. Then you've got the logical part of the mind. And if you engage those three parts of the mind in that order, people are compelled to listen. Mm. Whereas if you compare that with most meetings that people go to day to day, uh, if people think, you know, anyone listening to this, they think back over the last couple of weeks, they probably realize that 95% of the meetings that they've been in have spent 95% of the time in the logical part of the brain, going through data and graphs and spreadsheets and analysis and so on. And we leave those meetings needing two cups of coffee before we go to the next (laughs) meeting where we get this cognitive fatigue that's going on all the way. And the reason being the brain doesn't understand what it means, why it should listen, why it should care. 
So instead, what great stories tell us is, you know, they're always going to have the hook. On a screenplay, it's normally within the first 10 to 15 pages that something really grabs us. We get to know, okay, the basics of who is this character? What world are they living in? And then suddenly the world is thrown out of balance where there's some major challenge that this person is facing. So we think, wow, oh, how are they going to get out of this one? And pretty soon as well, you start to realize, well, if they do get out of this challenge, where would they like their life to be in a week from now, or a year from now, 10 years from now? What are they striving for? And that sets up for us the current challenge and the future goal. And then therefore we know what journey this movie is going to go on. And so suddenly we're compelled. You can do exactly the same thing with a spreadsheet. So you can engage people, engage in the survival mind, then the emotional mind, then the logical mind by saying to people, hey, thanks so much for coming to this meeting. Listen. I understand from our last meeting that uh, you are feeling really deeply concerned about this particular project. And the reason being you're concerned that we've overspent on the money. There's not enough time left on this project. And you're concerned if we, if we don't get the right result here, this could impact our integrity and our reputation. So we know that if nothing changes based on these numbers, six months from now, we're in a bad place. What if I could show you some insights on my spreadsheet now? going to the, the, the striving and the goal they're heading towards. What if I could show you some insights that would allow you to make a decision by the end of this week that would reduce the time that we're spending on this project and increase the profitability with just a few things I can share with you in the next 15 minutes. Then suddenly everyone's thinking, wow, this is amazing. I feel drawn into this. Why? Because you're mimicking what happens in a Hollywood movie or in a great book or novel and so on. You're going from the current world and the current challenge across to a greater future, and you're going to start to take them down the yellow brick road that gets you to where you want to be uh, by the end of that piece. So, so that's why it's so important for people to, to use. Don't just go into a meeting and say, Here, here's my information and hope people will care. Light up the right areas of the brain, and then suddenly people will be compelled to listen to you. I have to admit, I'm I'm one, I'm kind of a data wonk, you know, I, I consider myself an analytical person. So I think my default is similar to what you were suggesting. Like you go to a lot of meetings and you just hear the logical argument being made, uh, data being presented, and it's not contextualized, it's not couched within anything. One of my thoughts, you know, as, as you were describing kind of this process of lighting up the right areas of the brain as you go, you know, one of my first thoughts is how do we as leaders create an environment where we allow this to happen because I've been in plenty of meetings where the leader, whoever's running the meeting, whoever's in charge will literally say things like, okay, no fluff rule. Like, I don't want to hear any of that other stuff. I just want the data. You know, of course, mm. there's always interpretation of the data though. There's always a story mm. behind the data. And if you're going to connect it to something, you have to be able to tell that story. And so I think sometimes you know, we've been trained in a lot of business contexts and settings and kind of held accountable by leadership to cut out the fluff, quote unquote, mm -hmm. and to, to just get straight to the numbers. And I think that's doing a disservice to them and to the team if we can't truly yeah. understand the context around it. Any thoughts around like strategies to approach that? If you find yourself, like I remember yeah. one meeting in particular that I was in, it was, I was literally given five minutes to talk about a fairly complex thing. And because the meeting was going long and I was towards the end of the agenda, when it got to me, the, the person running the meeting literally said, okay, I'm sorry, we're running late. You got 30 seconds, go. And I'm like, <laughs> like I, I just don't even know what to do at that point. You know, like I'm a big, quick yeah. elevator pitch and that's about it. Right. Yeah. 
So, so there's, a, there's a few things uh, to talk about there to help people with this. And it's very common, these challenges. So firstly, let's talk about, you know, getting straight into the facts. Uh, so if you think about it, if I was to share the number 17%, like, is that good? Is that bad? Is it a big number? Is it a small number? It could mean anything. What we yeah. do when we hear the number 17% is we create a story about it anyway, of what that means and therefore what we should do about it. So we're always creating stories. And I always remember, you know, the importance of putting stories around a number uh, was highlighted to me when I was working at an oncology conference. So uh, cancer specialists. And this was going back, I think it was around 2008. And we had cancer specialists from around uh, Europe who are gathered there to talk about a new treatment for gastrointestinal stromal tumors or GIST as it's known and there was a new treatment that was just over three percent more effective than any other treatment that had been available before but the challenge was that physicians were not prescribing it <clears throat> and so I remember speaking to one of the uh, speakers on the coffee break. And I said, surely the challenge that you've got at this event is that, you know, it's only 3%. So why should physicians change from something that's tried and tested they know about before? And uh, the speaker said to me, I need you to understand this number. Like this is three people out of every hundred with this disease who will live rather than die. Think of their friends, think of their family, think of the impact this will have on their entire community. And I said, great, when you go back in there and talk about 3%, can you add in the story like that? And he said, oh, no, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna point to my spreadsheet and, uh, and show them the numbers on the slides. And so, uh, you know, out of that, we can take the fact that numbers Numbers need to have a story around them. A number yeah. never talks for itself. Ideas never speak for themselves. You've got to figure out the way to put the story around that. And you can do that in the space of 30 seconds if you need to. To look at uh, stories that are short, we just need to turn on the TV and watch the commercial break. So in commercials, you've got 30 seconds. And what do they do? They go through the same framework of lighting up the survival mind, the emotional mind, and then the logical mind. So they go from a challenge across to a greater future and tell you the yellow brick road to get you there. So an example of this would be a classic hair commercial where a beautiful model comes on and says something along the lines of, um, don't you just hate having dull, lifeless hair? I mean, who can afford to go to a salon every day? They're talking about the challenge, lighting up the survival mind. Oh, this is a massive challenge for me. Then they say, wouldn't you love to have beautiful hair from an everyday conditioner so you can look like you just walked out of a salon? And then suddenly people are thinking, yes, the emotional mind is lighting up. And then they say, here comes the science. And they show you this hair follicle with hydroparamoxylene <laughs> flowing through it. And they show you these numbers and these graphs. And you go, wow, suddenly I understand. If they started with the graphs or the hydroparamoxylene, you'd have no interest. You'd leave, you go and make a cup of coffee, you come back when it's done. But they don't, they show you these things and then suddenly you're compelled by it. So that's what they do in adverts. Is they give you these 30 seconds. And so uh, this is what I encourage people to do is it, sometimes they're going in for a pitch that I'll coach clients for. They thought it was a 90 minute pitch. It becomes a 30 minute pitch. What are you going to do? As long as you hold on to the framework of the mm. story, then you can still make sure that your numbers uh, stand out for people. And I've had to do this as a speaker myself, where mm. sometimes I get booked to do an hour long talk. I remember once flying to, I think it was in Warsaw or something like that. They'd flown me over to be the last speaker of the event. Uh, they'd give me an hour long slot, or maybe it was an hour and a half, but things were running over and they, they came up to me just before I started and said, could you just get this done in 25 minutes? And I thought, really? really? You flew me all this way? You're paying me? You just want me to do 25 minutes? Okay, fine. Well, I know that the basic context is there's three bits I've got to do. What's the current challenge? What's the better future? And how am I going to get you there? And so you can take people through that framework and condense or elongate your stories as you need to uh, based on that piece.
Yeah. Oh, I love that. And the ability to be agile given this situation, right. And to adapt in real time based on the audience and the context around you, I think is, is really vital. And it's a tricky thing. It takes skill. It it takes practice. Um, So I think back to the, the, the instance I described to you briefly just a minute ago, I didn't handle it nearly as well as it sounds like you probably have handled these types of situations. You know, I'm already thinking how in the world can I convey really complex information in five minutes? Now I'm only given 30 seconds. What can I do? And, you know, I I wish I could say I like hit it out of the park and I like amazed people, but I didn't like it was, it was completely ineffective. And, you know, I, I lost my opportunity to influence in that moment, um, you know, a, a key decision. And so being able to to frame out you know have the framework for the the key points as you just described and then be able to kind of build and and uh, pull back or depending on the context because very rarely do things happen the way we plan uh, very mm-hmm. rarely do we get the exact amount of time we're told that we're going to be given um yeah. oftentimes if you're in a meeting you know the, the pulse of the room can just shift, you know, and like people can start to go in a different direction. You got to be ready to pivot uh, if you want mm. to be able to influence in, in the way, you know, that you're hoping. And so, yeah, I'm, any tips on like how we can just learn that agility? Um, yeah. You know, if we can have the framework in, in hand, uh, are there like ways to practice that uh, or scenario plan or like what, what have you found to be effective? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And actually, I should stress that I've, I've had to do the same, but in the opposite direction uh, sometimes where I was running an yeah. event, uh, I think this was two weeks ago, where in my head, I thought I was supposed to be speaking for an hour. And then I sort of realized partway through, they're expecting an hour and a half. And I thought, oh, I have, I need to give you some more stuff. And I suddenly started to think in my head, well, where on the journey am I between where we started and where we want to be? I'm going to need to put some extra pieces in here that will help them on that journey. Uh, because I'd done it the day before for a different client and I'd made it an hour. And suddenly I was thinking, okay, I need, I need to put extra pieces on this journey. So, uh, you know, different ways to do this. Firstly, what I would say to people is that you've got to be really very, very clear. What are the key elements behind uh, the story that you're telling? So that if you only get 30 seconds or if you get longer a period of time, that those are the pieces that you must hit and you can hit them in greater detail depending on the length of time that you get. So I generally say to people, based on the amount of time that you've got, you want to spend roughly 20% of your time, whether that's 30 seconds or or two hours, roughly 20% of your time is on setting up the sense of this is the challenge. And importantly, if you want to grab people and let them give you sort of extra time, you need to set it up as this is the challenge for you, not my challenge, not my team's challenge, Mm -hmm. not my client and stakeholders challenge, but this is the challenge for the person listening. So if you're in a boardroom, board of directors there, instantly thinking, how am I going to explain this? I'm going to talk about something they deeply care about. They deeply care this quarter or this year about this challenge. So I'm going to speak about how what what matters to me is linked to their key challenge. Then I'm going to talk about where they could be in the, in the next six months if they are listening to my message. If they take on board what I have to say, what would that do for them? And suddenly their brain is lighting up thinking, whoa, hang on a second, John's gonna take me from a place I really don't wanna be in that I'm stuck in right now to a place I'd love to be in. We better give him a little bit more than 30 seconds. Like maybe we should give him you know, two or three minutes here. And so, uh, and then you can go into the next piece to think about is that you then have 75% of your time. So you've got 20% on the hook, if you like, the current challenge and the better future. 75% of your time is really then spent on the journey 
from where you are now to where you want to be and generally broken up into three major pieces where you'd say, look, there's three things I really need you to know about what's important to get us from where we don't want to be to where we do want to be. Three things. And the reason being, we love the rule of three. We're so compelled by it. You can see, you know, movies generally end up in trilogies if they're doing well. Uh, or, you know, we've never stood on the side of a swimming pool and said, let's jump in on the count of four. Like, who's doing that? <laughs> uh, forget it. We all jump in on the count of three. We like threes. We're like ready, steady, go, and so on. So if you break down your key elements that are logical, data-heavy, uh, process, that sort of thing. If you break them up into three, we're more likely to listen and care about it and remember it. And then the last piece that you ne need to do is to come back around to a, to a sense of what do you want people to do in the room right now? What is one simple thing you can do? And this is where I see so many people messing this up is that generally like, they may tell a really good story. They get to the end and what they share is so big and it's so overwhelming and confusing that nothing happens because people just say, oh, oh, that seems like a big decision. Maybe I should just take this offline. And taking this offline generally means I'm never talking to you about this ever again because they get too busy. So instead you want to think, okay, what is the first step of the journey I could get people in this room to agree to right now? And if you're speaking to someone very senior, you might say to them, look, all I'm asking for right now is just let me run a pilot of this for the next seven days until I meet you again. That's all I'm asking for. And they go, okay, you go ahead. Rather than saying, you know, what I want to do is to run this for the next two years and I need 5 million invested where they might say, yeah. mm, I don't know, take it offline. So it's just about that sense of this is where we are. This is where I'd love to be. Here's how we're going to get there. Just give me permission to take this first step. And you can make that as long or as short as you want to. I, I've done versions of that where it's taken me two days to go through that, that journey that I've just explained. And sometimes if you do it on TikTok videos, a great way to, to see if you're getting this right is make TikTok videos or, or Instagram videos and make them 60 seconds and see if you can tell your message in that 60 seconds, because if you can, you'll do well. Uh, and if you can't, then you don't really understand your message. Uh, there's a lady who I was interviewed on uh, recently on her podcast, a lady called Erica, who's now got 20 million followers on TikTok and Instagram. And she's built that in the space of three years. I think it is mm. something like that. And she does these brilliant 60 second stories. And that's, you know, they've, they've spread like wildfire and millions of people have, have seen them. And it is a story about a challenge that people are having. They can relate to a better life ahead of them and how they're going to get there. And uh, it, it's incredible. So she's really nailed down that idea of how do I tell a story really fast? And if you can tell a story fast, then the ability to tell, tell a longer story is an easier skill. And I've personally, you know, in addition to the the one bad example I gave where I didn't handle it all so well, like you, I've been in those situations uh, where, you know, I'm allotted five or 10 minutes in a meeting and whatever I'm saying turns out to be really compelling. And now I'm given, instead of that 10 minutes, I'm given an hour, an hour and a half mm -hmm. to really go into great depth. And that's like the best feeling ever, you know, when you're yeah. able to expand into like additional time because people are really, really interested in what you're doing. Well, mm. this has just been a really great conversation, Richard. You've given us a lot of great insights. I really appreciate uh, what you shared. As we wrap things up, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure. So if people want to uh, get any uh, coaching or training in this area, my company is ukbodytalk.com ukbodytalk.com. We travel all the way around the world and do virtual sessions or in-person sessions for people. Uh, people can find me on Instagram at Richard Newman Speaks, where I put up uh, insights and little videos a few times per week. 
And uh, lastly, I encourage people with communication really to lean in and see how much you can accomplish. Don't try and do everything straight away, but you know, a bit like learning how to play the game of tennis. You know, you want to hit a thousand forehands until you get really good at that, and then hit a thousand backhands, and gradually build and develop your skills. And like I said at the beginning of the conversation, I went from a place of really being a big step behind people in communication to get into a place where I now have the pleasure of teaching it. So, given that I've gone on that journey, I encourage anyone who is feeling any challenges with communication, feeling like they're not being heard, to lean into that space and believe that you have the ability to be a great communicator. You just need to start working on those skills. I love it. Richard, thank you. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Richard can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. That you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and please join us again soon.